we are going to be, we're going through a, a surge right now called soteriology, which is kind of a big word that just means the study of salvation, what it means to be saved and the intricacies that, that go into that. And so we've been looking at some pretty deep theological um, words, I guess, um, topics. And so if you have any questions, feel free to uh, Shoot, shoot them out for sure. Um, but for you, Jerry's, these men on either side of you, they're both named Jerry. So, um, so we're all Jerry's here that we are. Jerry, Jordan, Jerry, and Tyler. <laughs> My middle name's John. So, yeah. And Jim, look at that. Oh, and then Logan, man. What's your middle name, Logan? <laughs> yeah. Logan broke the chains. We're all Jerry's in here. Dwayne. Dwayne. All right. That's all right. All right. So we're. Am I Dwayne? Dwayne. We're picking up on our study in soteriology. Oh, thank you. Um, we're talking about regeneration and new nature today. Um, let's see. No, we're not. That was last week. Yes. I somehow managed to get the wrong slide pulled up. I don't know how I did that. Um, but by way of review, what is regeneration and the new nature? You guys remember going over that last week? Could be born again. Yeah, talked about how that's um, the same, same concept as the new birth that Jesus talks about in, um, in John chapter 3 how he talked to Nicodemus and he said that unless a man is born again, he can in no way enter the kingdom of God. Um, here we go. Let's see, is this the right one? Sorry guys, I totally should have gone through this before. Um, <laughs> thanks Dwayne. <laughs> Let's see. Um, I think we were on the right one, actually. Let's see here. Yes, this is the right one. Sorry about that. We'll get there. All right, so what is justification? That's a, another big word. Look at that. I look up and we have more people in here. That's good. What is justification? To be justified means to be declared what? Righteous. Righteous, right? That we have this declaration of being right, where God um, kind of lays down the, the gavel, so to speak, as a judge. And he says, this person is declared to be righteous, not to declared to be condemned as they would if they were guilty, but they are declared to be innocent as if we were, or declared to be righteous as if we were innocent. That is what? Uh, justification is talking about. What is sanctification? Anybody know that word, sanctification? To be set apart. Yeah, to be set apart, right? To be holy. Um, the, there's a same Greek word for, for holy and for saints. Agios is I'm talking about being set apart, being sanctified as one who is holy. To become more and more like Jesus. And so there's a a very important distinction between justification and sanctification. Uh, I was just talking with Jordan a little bit ago, and he was mentioning Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for it is by grace that you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, but it is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So our works don't earn us justification. Our works don't earn us this declaration of righteousness before God. But our works still have a place, don't they? You know, Ephesians 2.10 goes on and says that we were created in Christ for this purpose, for good works, so that we can glorify our Father in heaven. So works aren't completely off the table, but we aren't saved by our works. We are saved by faith alone. And then God has given us these good works so that we can glorify him as a result of our justification and part of our sanctification, growing more and more into who he is, but realizing that it is completely apart from um, our 
our, our merits of salvation. We are saved fully based on what Christ has done for us. So, sanctification comes before or after justification? After. After justification. Those works are done by, the, by God through us via the new nature. Amen. So, next question, is sanctification necessary? Can you be justified and not be sanctified? No. Why not? Because whom he predestined he called, whom he called he justified, and whom he justifies he also sanctified. And will glorify, or is glorified, so. Yeah. yeah, it's in, the sanctified's it's, implied in there, right? It's part of the, yeah, it's part of the new nature. It's, mm -hmm. it's part of the, if you're newly alive, you will have life works. Yeah, if we have been born again to a, a new hope, a living hope, then the old has died and the new has, has come, right? So for, for there to be a new creation, there has to be a, a result. But again, we have to make sure we put that in the, the right category. Otherwise, we're going to be thinking we're earning our salvation. Justified at the same time. Yeah. I mean, as soon as, as soon as we're born again, we are justified and we are sanctified, even though we can continue. Our sanctification process begins yeah. when we are justified. But we are instantly set apart. Yeah. And declared a child of God. Yeah, let's look at uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17, right? That's a great verse that we should know and speaks to that very thing about how we are um, sanctified at that moment of uh, coming to Christ. So 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. So at that very moment that he is in Christ, he is a new creature. Um, and that process begins. And of course, we are always going to grow more and more into the, the image of Christ, him who is our head. It's not an overnight process. And so that's why we look to uh, people that have gray hair and more wisdom to... Um, help lead and guide us in, in that process because they've, they've been farther along in that process, right? Typically speaking, if they're older in the Lord. And so uh, sanctification is a process, but it does begin at that moment of salvation. We, we should be, we should grow in the Lord. Sometimes we don't. <laughs> Yeah, we don't grow at the rate that we want to, but we have the, the Holy Spirit indwelling us. And I think that he will bring us along. He will grow us. Those who are legitimate children of God, he will chasten and chastise and mold into his image. All right, so by way of review, God elects some people to salvation according to his will and purposes alone. He is the only one who who can save us, right? We, in and of ourselves, have no ability to save ourselves. We are wretched, wicked sinners. Upon belief, the Christian is adopted, and God is his or her father. The Christian also has assurance of salvation. Um, I'm second-guessing whether or not I'm on the right slide again. Let's see. Yeah, this is what we did last week. What am I doing? So I think a lot of the problem is I went back on Sunday afternoon and I studied for this morning. But yes, we certainly went through this last week, didn't we? All right. I'm going to go back to the other slide now. <laughs> um, we will get there for sure. See you again. Yeah. All right. Let's try this one now. All right. At the moment of salvation, God does some irreversible work in the Christian's life, regeneration. So mm -hmm. it's something that we can't, just as we can't put ourselves into Christ, we can't take ourselves out of Christ. He has made us into a new creature, and we will remain as a new creature. As a Christian lives out his or her faith, cooperation with God and obedience to his commands must take place. And so this is where it gets kind of confusing because salvation is 
all of God, right? We are saved, we are justified, declared righteous, 100% based upon what he has done. And then after that, um, there's this cooperative work that comes into play. And this is why we have to get the distinction between justification and sanctification right. Otherwise, we think that somehow we have part in our salvation. We absolutely do not. But we have a responsibility to grow in Christ, become more and more like him in our sanctification. So we have to have justification, sanctification separated um, in our minds. That has to be uh, something that is clear to us. John Owen, in The Mortification of Sin, he says, He can make the dry parched ground of my soul to become a pool and my thirsty barren heart as springs of water. Yes, he can make this habitation of dragons, this heart which is so full of abominable, abominable lusts and fiery temptations, to be a place of bounty and fruitlessness unto himself. Fruitfulness unto himself. Yeah, I was trying to make sense of that in my mind. Thank you. Um, yeah, John Owen, and especially in this book, he has this amazing understanding of sin and the utter depths and depravity of who we as people are and our absolute need for a savior because we are so wicked to the very depths of our core. Um, Isaiah, what is it, 46.4, somewhere in there, says that all of our righteousness are as filthy rags before God, right? Nothing that we do. What is it, 46? 46? 64.6? Some combination of fours and sixes. Uh, but our righteousness is as filthy rags, um, completely detestable before God. And until we have a firm understanding of that, then we won't even realize our need for a savior. And that's why it's so important that we preach a full gospel that really emphasizes our sin and our need, uh, especially around here, because we're told that we're all children of God, just by nature that we're children of God, God loves all of his children, and if we understand that in the sense that we're told, then we won't realize that by nature we really are children of wrath, uh, Ephesians goes on to say, and we need to be set apart, we need to be redeemed, we need this regenerative work in our life to be made into a new creature. All right, sanctification. Let's all turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and look at that together. 1 Thessalonians 4. Did you find that, Jerry? Um, or did you stop looking? My new Bible is underlined. Oh. <laughs> no worries. I just saw you. Look like you were on the hunt. All right, 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 through 8. Can I get somebody to read that for us, please? I will. All right, thank Finally you. Finally then, brethren, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more, just as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God. For you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one should take advantage of or and defraud his brother in this matter because the Lord is the avenger of all such as we also forewarned you and testified. For God did not call us to uncleanness but to holiness. Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God, who has also given us his Holy Spirit. All right. So hopefully, as we read through that, you're seeing some of these aspects that we're talking about, uh, regeneration, new birth. You talk about the need for sanctification. We'll certainly get into that. Um, and it is Isaiah 64, 6, by the way. Look that up. It was bugging me. All right. So here in 1 Thessalonians 4, what concept is Paul introducing in verse 1? What about in verse 2? Verse 1 says, Finally then, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus, that as you received from us instruction as to how you ought to walk and please God, just as you actually do walk, that you excel still more. What concepts do we see there? It's 
put on your thinking caps. We call it Sunday school for a reason, right? <laughs> well, he's telling us that we need to live and do the things that, that uh, please God, that honor God. Yeah. But so, it is a choice, or we wouldn't have to urge us to do it. Yeah. <laughs> Yep, there's we have, we have to that cooperative work we were talking about, we right? We have to intentionally decide that we are going to live a life mm -hmm. on this job. Yeah, so it talks about this instruction that we've received, and then he says that you ought to walk to please God. So we see this aspect of obedience, that there's something that's before us, and we can either choose to obey or, or disobey. And, uh, this concept of imitation, we've given this to you, we've given you this teaching, now take and, and imitate us and uh, work out this obedience within yourselves, right? Also this concept of perseverance, that you excel still more to, to keep going. Again, we're not striving for our salvation, but we're striving to be obedient because of our salvation. And then what about verse 2? What concept do we see there? It says, for you know what commandments we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. What's up, Walker? What's up? We're in 1 Thessalonians 4, 2. We're looking at what concept Paul is introducing in that verse. We have this concept of revelation, right? That we have, like you said, the the commandments, these instructions that he has placed before us. And this revelation is a, a progressive revelation. We'll see that a little bit in the, the sermon this morning. How the more time goes on, the more God reveals to his people, the better understanding we have of who he is. Uh, we know a lot more about who God is today than uh, the Israelites did 3,000 years ago before Christ, right? Because Christ has made him known. He is the image of the invisible God. And so we have this aspect of revelation and this knowledge that we are then accountable for that has been given to us. For you know what commandments we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a revelation that is authoritative. It's not just something that somebody made up one day. Uh, Paul says in Galatians, it's not a gospel that any man had to sit down and teach me, but I received it as direct revelation from the Lord Jesus, and he's passing it on to us. And so we have a responsibility to obey this revelation that we have uh, from, from God as he's carrying along the, the apostles as they're writing scripture. How is sanctification defined? in the context of this passage. We're in 1 Thessalonians 4, Andy. You would abound more and more. Okay, yeah, so to keep going, to excel more, to abound more. Keep um, growing. Yep, it doesn't stop. What else? That you should abstain from sexual immorality. All right, so he's focusing on this specific aspect of sexual immorality, and he's saying, you guys stay away from it. This is sanctification, verse 3. This is the will of God, your sanctification, that you grow more and more, become more and more like Christ. That is, that you abstain from sexual immorality. So in that phrase, that is, that you do this, he's defining that specific aspect of sanctification. Um, and I think... Jim, as you mentioned, as somebody mentioned, that sanctification is to be set apart, right? Is to be holy as he is holy, 1 Peter 1. Um, to be um, sanctified is to be different and distinct. Um, to be um, 
kind of weird, right? <laughs> to not fit in not is to be single paid. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And what is the link between calling, regeneration, and sanctification? That's kind of a, a big question. So calling, we've talked about before, um, how God is the one who effectually called. He gave us that inward call to bring us to that understanding of who he is. Uh, regeneration, as we just reviewed, is him giving us new life, taking the old creature and instead making a, a new creature, taking our heart of stone, giving us a heart of flesh. And then sanctification is becoming more and more like Christ. So what is the link between these different aspects, these things that God is doing? I told you, you're going to have to think a little bit this morning. Well, the person is the spirit of God that is accomplishing all these things in us. And it's an unbroken link. What is the link? And like we talked about the this aspect of sanctification, that, that differs a little bit because we have more of a responsibility when it comes to our sanctification. Uh, are we going to choose to submit to the spirit and walk in the spirit, or are we going to submit to the flesh and walk in the flesh? Whereas calling regeneration, those are 100% completely works of God. We have no way to, to make ourselves born, right? We weren't born the first time by our own will. We are born again by the will of man, but by the will of God. So... Look at verse 7, um, and I'll go ahead and I'll read down to verse 7, starting in verse 3, but let's focus on verse 7, see if we can get some insight into the answer to this question. So verse 3, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that is, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion, like the Gentiles who do not know God, and that no man transgress and defraud his brother in the matter because the Lord is the avenger in all these things, just as we also told you before and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. So he who rejects this is not rejecting man, but the God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Any other thoughts? The link between calling, regeneration, sanctification. What is God calling us to? Holiness. Holiness. What are we regenerated to? Holiness. Holiness. And sanctification is all about holiness, right? We are called to be holy. We are called to be set apart. And so you look at holiness, and holiness really ties all these things together, that God wants us to be uh, unique people who are distinct from the world, who represent him, so that people can look at his church, his people, and they can say, okay, well, they are, they're different. And in looking at his people, they will see him. God is a God who is a jealous God, right? His name is jealous and he and he alone is God. He reserves glory for himself alone. He's not going to share his glory with anybody else. And in setting us apart, he will bring more glory to himself, which is a good thing, right? Because God and God alone is good. God and God alone is worthy of praise and glory. And so we want him to be lifted up and by being holy as he is holy, we can reflect him. In reality, it's in having to recreate yeah. what he originally created. Yes. Yeah. To start all over again. And that's so the end goal is his original work design. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, we took and marred in the fall, and we inherited in Adam's sin, has been regenerated and renewed in in Christ, right? Looking at Romans 5 and how we have in Christ become a, a new creation. Any other thoughts on that? I would just say when we respond to the call, we are regenerated and sanctified. Even though we're immediately sanctified in that we hold a position. Mm -hmm. That position being God's child. And then, of course, sanctification is immediate and it's ongoing. 
Yep. Yeah, a couple different aspects of that sanctification, right? There's positional sanctification where God looks at us and he sees that is my, my son, that is my daughter, that is a person who's been washed in the blood of Christ and they are perfect. But then there's this practical, progressive sanctification where we are more and more daily trying to become more and more like him. And that will come to fruition when we are ultimately glorified and with him. All right. The word for sanctification means to become a holy. It is a Godward transformation process. Sanctification is a very new covenant concept. There is no real equivalent to the idea in the Hebrew Old Covenant. Um, I want to look at a, a few verses in Leviticus. Can I get somebody to look up uh, Leviticus 19? Who can look up Leviticus 19 for us? All right. Why don't, we, why don't we all turn to Leviticus, and we'll just make our way through Leviticus a little bit. It's in the Torah, the law, right? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. So let's start off looking at Leviticus 19. We're going to look at Israel's call to holiness, because they were certainly called to be holy, right? Um, but... There's a distinction between Israel and the church, for sure. We need to recognize that right off the bat. Just Israel is not the church. The church is not Israel. Um, and within that, there's a distinction between our ability to be holy. Both Israel and the church are called to be holy, whereas the church is enabled to be holy in a way that Israel is not. So let's look at Leviticus 19. And Jerry, will you grab verse 2, please? Speak to all the congregation of the sons of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, Yahweh your God, am holy. All right. So again, they are called to be holy. That is an expectation that God has placed upon them. And once again, because God Himself is holy, they are to reflect His holiness. Um, then Leviticus 20, so next chapter, verse 7. Who can grab that? All right. 20, verse 7. You shall concentrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am the Lord your God. All right, so they are called to consecrate themselves. You guys take and, and consecrate yourselves. Be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Again, they have the same expectation of holiness, the same call to be holy. And then again down in verse 26, same chapter, Leviticus 20, 26. Thus you are to be holy to me, for I, the Lord, am holy, and I have set you apart from the peoples to be mine. And then one more in 21 verse 8. You shall consecrate him, therefore, for he offers the food of your God. He shall be holy to you, for I, the Lord, who sanctifies you, am holy. So there's the same calling, same expectation to be holy. Um, but once again, what sets Israel apart from the church and their ability to actually be holy? What's the, the biggest difference? that we see in Israel and the church. They don't have Christ. They don't, they don't have a high priest. All right. So yes, both, both aspects. So in the Old Testament, and again, we'll get into this a little bit in the sermon, they knew of the Father, right? Um, they were always monotheistic. Remember, mono means one. Theist talks about God, so they believe in one God, just as we believe in one God. But they didn't have this understanding of Jesus, the divine person, of God, right? Or the Holy Spirit of God. Um, they had some maybe glimmers of these concepts, but once again, there's a, a progressive revelation that God is revealing himself more and more as time goes on. And so they had no indwelling Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit would come upon somebody and then he would leave. He would not actually take up residence within them as he does with us. We just looked at this recently at the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, that we are sealed in the Holy Spirit, baptized in the Holy Spirit. Um, and the Old Testament saints, they didn't have that massive privilege, that massive benefit that I think that we can't even begin to, to fathom and understand um, the, the guidance and the, the blessing that it is to have the indwelling Holy Spirit. And then they also had 
um, as you mentioned, Eddie, they didn't have Christ and that example that we have in Christ. Will somebody look up 1 Peter 2? Who's got 1 Peter 2 for us? Jerry? Are you smiling because you're not going to look it up? You're just going to quote it? <laughs> All right. And then somebody else get John 13. Who's got John 13? All right. Um, then let's do one more. 1 John 2, 6. 1 John 2, 6. Who's got that one? All right. I was going to say you ladies are being quiet, but Dory's jumping on that. All right, so 1 Peter 2, and will you read for us verses 21 through 25, please? For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. All right. So in that uh, paragraph it says that God, that Christ rather, has left an example for us to follow in his steps. We have that example in Christ. We can look back at Christ and we can say, okay, well, this is how he did it. Whereas the Old Testament Israelites, these people who have been given the same command to be holy as God is holy, to consecrate themselves, to be set apart, they didn't have that privilege, that ability to look at Christ as an example. And then in verse 24, it says that, uh, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. Why? So that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. What does it mean to live to righteousness? It means to be sanctified, right? To be set apart. So we are able to do that because of what Christ did on the cross. Um, John 13, 13 through 17. 13, 13. You call me master and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is no greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If ye know these things, happy are ye if ye do them. All right. So once again... Israel didn't have that privilege, right? Israel didn't have the ability to look at the God of the universe and see him bow down and wash the feet of his creation. Um, and again, I, I don't think we can even understand the, the advantage that that gives us over them, and the ability that that gives us to be sanctified, to be set apart, because we can look back and we can see Christ and how he lived and acted and gave us, as that very passage said, again, an example to follow. And then 1 John 2, 6. Whoever says, to, says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way as he walked. All right. Walk as he walked, which we're only able to do because we have this progressive revelation of how he walked. And then lastly, Ephesians 5, 1 and 2 says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. So this aspect of sanctification is unique to the, the New Testament church and our ability to yield to and obey and submit to this call for sanctification, this call to be set apart, be holy as God himself is holy. Thoughts or questions on that? Well, it is, yeah, that's an awfully good concept. I don't think I've ever gone through that before. Because the, old, the Hebrews, the Israelis had Abraham mm -hmm. as an example. Wasn't a great example, but there were some really high ones. <laughs> yeah. But primarily Moses, who again was, uh, he was the best example that they had today because he did choose to suffer the repose 
of being defeated or rejected his, his position in Pharaoh's home mm -hmm. to suffer that. And he was fairly holy much of his life, with some exceptions. Yeah. And that's why they had such a hard time after 1,500 years of uh, using him as an example, switching to Jesus was a challenge for them mm -hmm. and impossible in their unholy state. Interesting thought. But it, it really shouldn't have been that difficult for them because Moses told them to be ready. Let me read for you what he said in Deuteronomy 18, uh, 15 to 16. Says the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you. From your countrymen you shall listen to him. This is according to all that you asked of the Lord your God in Horeb on the day of the assembly, saying, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God. Let me not see this great fire anymore, or I will die. Uh, and he goes on throughout the rest of that passage. Uh, once again, 18. I will raise up a prophet from among their countrymen like you, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. This is Moses saying, there's a, a better one coming, just like John the Baptist did, right? He said, let me decrease, let him increase. It's all about Jesus, not about me. And Moses was trying to prep his people, knowing that he was that example, but that he wasn't to be the ultimate example. Jesus was the ultimate example. God told him. He told him he's going to send the Messiah. He told him he's going to send the Savior. Yep. Isaiah, and Isaiah, he said, I and I alone am your Savior. Yeah. There is no Savior they, besides they me. put it together. They, they, they didn't understand. Mm -hmm. and, and so even though they were looking forward to a Messiah, they, they, they had a different ideal. Mm -hmm. uh, they were looking for a Messiah according to their own desires, not according to what God was trying to tell them. Mm -hmm. And they were even kind of subdividing the different aspects of the Messiah that we're looking for. There were some that were looking for the Messiah, some that were looking for a, a king to come and lead them, some that were looking for the prophet. But I think few realize that all these different aspects of Christ were really fulfilled in this one person, Christ. He is prophet, priest, and king, and he fulfills all these aspects of what was promised and predicted in the Old Testament. Andy? I think that um, it's impossible to escape to escape the importance of the old covenant in the fact that it would it was um, it was laying out the ground for the arrival of the Messiah. You can't you, you can't understand God without having a clear understanding from the Old Testament that He was holy, that He was the one and only God, mm -hmm. and. <clears throat> And yet there were not not entirely, but as a pointer, we know there were prophecies that existed eight hundred, a thousand, twelve hundred years before Christ. Right? Or longer if you look at Genesis. Yeah. Right. Um that is unique absolutely unique to Christianity. There is no other religion that goes there. None. There is none. It is, it is utterly and totally only in Christianity that you see a prophecy like that where it's fulfilled. It, it doesn't exist anywhere else. The point, my point being that you know, the, the antinomianism, the idea that you can get away from the Old Testament, you cannot get away from the Old Testament. You cannot understand God, the God of Scripture, without understanding His holiness and His, his majesty and His uh -huh. utter uniqueness. My point being that, you know, I, I can't count the number of ways per day that I violate His holiness in my mind, in my actions, in my words, uh -huh. and yet I have a faithful high priest who intercedes for me. Amen. Yeah, that again has to be the foundation of the gospel, understanding our our 
lack of ability to do what we're we're called to do in order to be holy, in order to be consecrated, as the Lord Himself is consecrated. You look at Romans 3, 19 and 20, it says, Therefore, whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, why? So that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. So that through the law we may become conscious of our sins. So we look at the law and we hold it up as a mirror and we say, Oh well, uh, do not lie, well, I, I don't do that. Do not commit false witness, oh man, I, I, I've done that, right? Uh, and the farther up on the scale you get, the more incriminating it is to, um, to have no other God before me, to, as it's summarized in the New Testament, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. I mean, how many moments this morning alone have we failed to keep that commandment and to love our neighbors as ourselves? I mean, we are... We are off the bat, right off the, the get-go, we're in trouble, right? Uh, this morning in our sermon, we're going to be talking about um, running this race, right? We talked about in last week, 1 Corinthians 9, how we want to run a race with endurance. We have to, again, separate justification from sanctification. That's talking about our sanctification. If we're looking to run a race of justification on our own, we're going to trip before we even get going, right, before the gun even sounds to, to go off, because we are lost without Christ. We have a need for a Savior. Other thoughts before we move on? Alrighty. Uh, why is that? I think we covered that. Alright, Wayne Grudem says that sanctification is a progressive work of God and man that makes us more and more free from sin and like Christ in our actual lives. Again, I think this is a, a difficult concept for us to, to really land with, that sanctification is a joint effort because we can't do anything in our own power, right? Every good and, and perfect thing that we do, everything that we do that accounts for anything is done by the power of God. It's done by His enabling us to do it. However, we are responsible to be holy as He is holy. So. I haven't figured that one out for myself just yet. If you guys figure it out, uh, we can switch spots. You guys can come up here and teach me because well, that's a, a mind a twister. It is a choice, and God gives us the power to make that choice. Mm -hmm. He doesn't make us make that choice. Yeah. But he gives us the power that we can do that. It's his power still. Yep. But we can make, he tells us to make the choice. Yeah. So it's, it's both, right? God working and, and us working. Um, we don't get any credit for the work because it's all his power. Um, we get the we responsibility for not doing it because no we're responsible. No credit on our part. He gives us the opportunity, the ability. Yeah. You know, it came from him, but mm -hmm. we still have to do it. So I don't know. That's, that's why, right. That's why we throw our crowns before them. Amen. Because we didn't see that it wasn't Absolutely. What a good thought. All right. Uh, speaking again to the regeneration, the New Testament speaks of regeneration in these six different ways that we looked at the last couple of weeks. Uh, baptism, stilling and dwelling, filling, fruit, and gifting. Um, these are we looked at, at these, the filling, the fruit, and the gifting, and how those are aspects of sanctification that involve um, cooperation, where we are working, once again, by the power of God. These other three, where we are baptized in the Holy Spirit, we are sealed and dwelt by the Holy Spirit, we are 100% uh, passive recipients. God is the one doing all that work. And, these latter three. He's doing the work, he's doing the power, but we are still responsible. All right, the difference, once again, between justification and sanctification. We got this outline here on your sheet, and I think we should be able to get it filled out by 10.30. So, justification speaks of our legal standing. Once again, um, God declaring us righteous. He doesn't make us righteous, but he declares us to be righteous. We will still sin. Um, we're not going to be sinlessly perfect, but he declares us righteous. And I can't get past the, the picture in my mind of the courtroom scene, right? And how a judge says, lays down the gavel, you are righteous. 
And there have been many people who have been guilty who have been declared innocent, even though they aren't innocent, right? But the judge has declared them to be innocent. Many people who are innocent who have been declared guilty, they have been condemned. So the, uh, the declaration of guilt or innocence doesn't directly relate to whether or not that person is, in fact, guilty or innocent. We are declared to be innocent, but we still um, sin. Yes? Yeah, in today's courtroom, though, quite often, it's the person's actions that are declared justified. You know, a police officer shoots somebody or somebody shoots somebody in self-defense, and the court says those actions are justified. God doesn't justify our actions. Yeah. He separates us from our actions, our sin, and then puts us in a justified position or declares us justified by separating us uh -huh. from our actions. So the courtroom's a little different, but the same idea. Yeah. We're made, we are declared justified by God, not by what we've done. Yep. Yeah, by his actions, right? And and his his nature that he is perfect. Our sin is put on Jesus and we are separated from him. Amen. That makes us justified. Not Praise God. We, not that what we did is declared okay. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And yet that vital distinction between justification and sanctification. And again, the difference here is that sanctification speaks of the internal condition, um, how we do actually become more and more holy as he enables us, as time goes on and we grow in him. Justification happens once for all time, at one point in time when we uh, realize our need for Christ, we come to him in humility and ask for forgiveness for our sins and we confess our sins before him and put our hope in him and his finished work on the cross and it is finished. Whereas sanctification is a process, it's a continual process that goes throughout life. Um, it starts at the beginning at the, the point of justification, but it's a, a progressive work. Justification is entirely God's work. Sanctification, there's a cooperative aspect that we take part in. Justification is perfect in this life. Um, again, we can't take ourselves out of the hand of Christ, out of the hand of God. We are sealed in him for eternity. And then sanctification is never perfected in this life. Um, we drew that illustration a couple weeks ago, how we're going to go up and down, up and down, right? Kind of like a, a stock market type picture. Uh, it's not a, a direct line where we're going to grow and become more like Christ each and every day. Um, but that should be the general trend of our lifestyle, of our walk. Justification is the same in all Christians. Amen. That every Christian, no matter their their level of maturity. They are all in Christ. They are all saved. They are regenerated and baptized and indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Whereas sanctification differs in some. There are some Christians who are more sanctified than other Christians. And we'll use terms like mature Christian or baby Christian. Um, but these kind of help us to understand that there are differing levels of sanctification that take place in different individuals. We need to realize and recognize that. And then justification takes place by faith alone. And then sanctification is by faith and applied wisdom and a repudiation of sin. Um, just as John Owen talked about in mortification of sin. To, to mortify that sin, to kill that sin, um, and to seek this sanctification, this holiness that is found in Christ. All right, I think that's probably the last slide we'll go through today. Any thoughts or questions on justification, sanctification, the difference between the two? I know they're kind of heavy concepts, big words, but uh, I think it's really important to make that distinction. This, this is probably not gonna be a good analogy, but... All analogies fall short. I know. <laughs> Um, wouldn't like sanctification be orthopraxy 
It's yeah. the application of orthodoxy, right? Mm -hmm. It's the actual day-to-day -day living of it. Does that make sense? Yeah. Because yeah, so. it, it requires our effort. Mm -hmm. And orthopraxy is dependent on orthodoxy, right? Yeah. What is orthodoxy? Any idea? Believing the right thing. All right, believing the right thing. It's the right teaching, right? So this is speaking of teaching. Uh, ortho, in, in both of these situations, you guys think of? Orthodontist. Orthodontist, all right. Any other? Um, orthopedics. All right. What, what are the, the similar things that we see in orthodontists and orthopedics? What are they attempting to do? What is this? This word or this um, thing mean fixing something right making to right. to make something straight right? They're trying to make your teeth straight. They're trying to make your feet straight so you can walk straight so you don't walk off wonky and, and mess up right. Um, and so this is teaching a, a straight or a right teaching. And then this is talking about our practice orthopraxy. So if we aren't following an, an orthodox understanding, an orthodox teaching of God's word. If it's skewed and not straight but crooked, then our orthopraxy is also going to be skewed and not straight and crooked, right? We mentioned the word antinomian over the last few weeks, that to go against the law, to say, oh, I don't need the law. I can just live however I want to live. I can come to Christ. I can be regenerated, quote unquote, as a new creature in Christ, and then continue to live a life of sin as the old creature. Well. That's bad orthodoxy, right? And that's going to result in bad orthopraxy. So, yes, our, our orthopraxy is dependent upon our orthodoxy. And um, if we have good orthodoxy, if we are having a true understanding, a straight understanding of God's word, then we will be justified by Christ. And we will walk in Christ in his likeness and be, be sanctified, be holy as he is holy. So... Yeah, there's a, a connection there. Any other questions before we wrap up? All right. Will somebody pray for us before we take our break? All right. Thanks, Jim. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this time that we can come together and study your word. Lord, I, I pray that we would... Just allow your Holy Spirit to be our teacher, to open our minds and hearts that we might understand what you have for us here today. We thank you for Tyler and his preparation, and I pray that you just bless him for that. Just pray now, Lord, as we, as we move into the worship time, that you would just help us to prepare our hearts, that we might just truly worship you in spirit and truth. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Um,